I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. And these dots are making art. Could you please just give them a little space? On today's episode, Nuit Blanche is fast approaching, and Museum of Toronto is sending this one out to all the ladies. Also, you'll find out more about Artscape, what they do, who they serve, and why they could really use your help right now. Plus, you'll get the history behind former artist co-op 888 DuPont. This building has lived many lives and seen many things, including mops and an airplane. And those aren't even the art projects. That's all coming up on Today in T.O. This might sound cliche, but art is all around us. And this Saturday, September 23rd, it's the 17th annual Nuit Blanche that'll take over spaces throughout the city from Etobicoke to downtown Toronto to Scarborough from dusk till dawn with more than 80 unique exhibits from amazing local, national, and international artists. The theme this year is Breaking Ground, which is a great opportunity to explore ideas centered around the natural world, change, and innovation. This gave Museum of Toronto an idea. Well, it actually gave them 52 ideas. Museum, for those who don't know, is located at 401 Richmond Street West and is Toronto's city museum. They have exhibitions on right now like Derailed, The History of Black Railway Porters in Canada, and Mr. Dress Up to Degrassi, which explores 42 years of legendary Toronto kids TV. But back to the 52. Here is Heidi Reitmeyer, Executive Director of Museum of Toronto, with the gist behind their latest project. So the 52 Stories of Women Who Transformed Toronto is a three-year project that we are launching at Nuit Blanche. We have, with the help of many others, chosen 52 women who have shaped the city, living and dead. Um, however, we could have chosen another 52 or lots of 52. So we're inviting the public to help us build the selection. After we selected those 52, we reached out to 24 different playwrights, all of whom have written three-minute monologues of the 52. Some have written one monologue, some have written more. And essentially, they're vignettes of these women uh, telling us stories that have impacted the city, telling us stories about their lives, telling us stories about who and where they came from. And at Nuit Blanche, what we are inviting the public to do is step into the shoes of these 52 women. So the project will eventually culminate in a play and an exhibition. We have recorded 52 actors uh, who have um, recited the monologues, performed the monologues. And Nuit Blanche Saturday night, what we're doing is taking excerpts from some of the monologues and inviting the public to step into the shoes of people like Jill Andrews or Elizabeth McGill or Marianne Shad or Asma Malik. So we are um, inviting the public to step into the shoes and be filmed. You'll hear more about the Nuit Blanche exhibit in a moment, but I was curious about how they selected the 52. Heidi told me they based it on factors like civic activism, science, health and wellness, business, and arts and culture. 
So they narrowed it down based on this criteria. And we created a matrix where we attempted to identify women who were the first of a moment, the first in history. So, um, for example, Jill Andrew was the first openly black queer person to be elected to the Ontario legislature. Or Elizabeth McGill advanced the field of aeronautics, but was a leading fighter for gender, but she was the first practicing female engineer. So we tried to select women who were the first. We thought about women who were obviously significant and have recognition. We also really wanted to represent Toronto um, and the population of Toronto. The reason the project is called 52, 52% of the population of Toronto are women. And we know Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in the world. So with this list, we also really wanted to think about that breadth, the cultural and ethnic representation of our city. You know, for me, the list is only really missing one person. She broke the ground on a new podcast for 640 Toronto back in February of 2023. A glaring omission, if you ask me, and no one did. And just to be clear, I'm being sarcastic. But I wanted to know if there were any people that Heidi and the team were like this. This person has to be on the list. Kit Coleman, uh, one of the first war correspondents, I believe, you know, had to be on the list. And Marianne Shad Carey, who uh, dedicated her life to the abolition of slavery. There's also um, Jane Jacobs and Margaret Atwood, some names that people might be more familiar with. So this is about the 52, but it's also about the playwrights and actors who are writing these stories and then bringing them to life on stage. Um, some of the women who were living were uh, very um, excited about the project. We have a number, we have 14 living women who are on the list and few of them recommended playwrights. And we also um, wanted to have a breadth of playwrights from those that are maybe a little bit more well-known like Diane Flax or Colleen McPherson to those like Kanika Ambrose who are winning acolytes, but again, maybe are not familiar. The playwrights also, we um, had a sense of the sensibility of the women and the sensibility of the playwrights. So we wanted to make those connections. In terms of the actors, um, wow, that's been a really interesting process because part of our conversations is, do we have to choose someone who's the same age as someone at the point in which the story was written? Do we have to choose one who is the same ethnicity? Do we have to choose a woman who um, is the same, in some cases, um, kind of heights or looks or, or um physical appearance. So we've had a bit of a challenge and what we've done is really go with actors who we feel can embody the spirit of the women. As mentioned, the 52 Stories of Women Who Transformed Toronto will launch as an interactive installment as part of this year's Nuit Blanche. You'll find it at Rondé Views at 229 Richmond Street West this Saturday, September 23rd from dusk till dawn. It's a large outdoor space, and if you want to participate, you'll be given an excerpt from one of the scripts, and you'll get up and you'll read it. Give it as much or as little gusto as you're capable of or have the capacity for, and then those readings will be projected on a big screen. And that's art, baby. For more, you can visit myzeumoftoronto.com. On the way, in the words of the late 19th century painter James McNeil Whistler, an artist is not paid for his labor, but for his vision. 
a fine quote, and I get it. But perhaps in 2023, artists should be paid for their labor as well. You'll find out what Artscape does to support artists in the city and why they're in need of some support themselves. That's coming up after this. Another art quote for you. This one is attributed to Leonardo da Vinci, and it goes something like this Art is never finished, only abandoned. And I think it's all too fitting to kick off this next conversation. But first, let me ask you this How are you making space? I had a friend ask me this one time in all seriousness, and she meant in my body, but I think about it all the time, and it's a good reminder to breathe and stretch. But space exists outside of the body as well, obviously. You're sitting in it. And think about your own space for a moment and what it provides you with. Shelter, security, comfort, creativity, somewhere to start and end your day, somewhere to keep all your things. And when you don't have to worry about this piece, it allows for even more space. Space to think and make things. And that's kind of the jumping off point for an organization like Artscape. Toronto Artscape is a group of not-for-profit organizations, and their mission is to make space for creativity and to transform communities. They've been around for more than 30 years and operate more than a dozen buildings. But recently, they found themselves in a tough spot. They're in receivership, and a fundraising campaign has been launched to both help the staff in seeing through a restructuring process and continuing to support the creative community served by Artscape. I spoke to Grace Lee Reynolds, the CEO, and Brooke Duvall, the executive director of the Toronto Artscape Foundation. Here's Grace with a bit of background on how Artscape came to be and their mission. Where it first started was uh, really as an intervention to ensure that artists could continue to have affordable places in the city to, to live. And the initial projects were really kind of focused around providing kind of affordable live workspaces um, in the downtown core. And and over time, um, as that type of work developed, right, it also then expanded into this whole idea around how arts and culture could really, um, you know, also benefit a surrounding community. And so, so you know, Artscape was one of the, the uh, was, I guess, the pioneer around this kind of concept called creative placemaking. And what that was about was to be able to create spaces that, you know, would allow for arts and culture organizations, allow for kind of public convening, and you, and you place those in communities. And so the, you know, the effect would be it, you know, it not only provides a location for artists and creators and organizations to thrive, but kind of the knock-on effects of being able to build around kind of community resilience become, become kind of really, really tangible. And so, yeah, over the years, many, many different locations had, uh, had developed and, um, and, uh, you know, as an example, some that, you know, that people would know about would be um, Daniel Spectrum um, in Regent Park, Artscape Witchwood Barnes as well. You know, we also have the one on the island called Artscape Gibraltar Point, right? So, so you know, it's, um, you like to think that, you know, Artscape has had, you know, its own kind of footprint in the fabric of being able to to support, right, the, the arts and culture and communities in the, in the city. 
Now, Artscape made a bit of a surprise insolvency announcement in August, saying they would be winding down operations, which, as you can imagine, caused a lot of concern from individuals and organizations that are a part of the system that is Artscape. And whether you're a fan of Artscape or not, for art to thrive, those who make it usually need some support in that. For many, it's not a regular job where you have benefits or a pension or paid vacation or sick days or even a guaranteed paycheck. For whatever reason, though many of us consume art in many different ways, we don't often put the same value on the labor that goes into it. And that directly impacts an artist's quality of life. There's just not enough social infrastructure, right, to be able to support arts and culture. And especially the, you know, the way by which Artscape would enable this was was interesting to me because what you're, you know, what you're doing is providing, um, you know, a foundation for kind of social impact, right? But it's also this idea around kind of being able to catalyze economic development as well, right? So, you know, what you're trying to do is provide you know, space for um, these organizations and individuals to be able to develop their craft, right, to be able to build their livelihoods. The Toronto Arts Council has reported that arts and culture contribute $11.3 billion annually to Toronto's GDP. That's a lot, considering that most artists are underpaid. As Sean McAuliffe wrote in the Toronto Star, Artscape's properties have become critical parts of Toronto's arts economy. Artscape is too big to fail, he writes. Here's Grace again. Over time, Artscape had really kind of started to run this kind of continuum of being able to make impact both at a grassroots level and I think also kind of reaching um, reaching further as well. And I think that's uh, the ambition, right, was certainly kind of compelling around the work. Um, but at the heart of it, what's really, really important is uh, is being able to kind of uh, focus focus on the spaces and places here for, for, uh, for citizens and community. It's kind of hard to reach when the ground beneath you is shaking. Here's Artscape's executive director, Brooke Duval. One of the biggest issues facing the the creative um, sector in Toronto is the loss of creative spaces. Like we're seeing it all over the place in Toronto post um, pandemic and as well as the, the loss of affordable spaces for creatives. And so that I think is, you know, one of the I think that's the biggest challenge that that we are facing. And, you know, Artscape is facing that too right now. And we're trying to find a path forward so that these spaces remain uh, for the creative community. So what can be done? You like art. You want to make sure that art and artists and organizations can survive and thrive in less precarious circumstances? Well, while the future is not clear, here's what Artscape is doing to forge a path forward and how you can help as well. We're working with our partners right now to, uh, you know, really try to course to the future to ensure that the the 14 spaces that uh, we operate remain operational. Um, and so we've gotten some really great support so far from partners like RBC Foundation, City of Toronto, um, but we do need to raise more funds. Uh, and so the easiest way for you to help is you can, you can go on to Canada Helps search Toronto Artscape Foundation and donate. And so your donation will go towards ensuring the continuity of operations, uh, as well as ensuring, you know, arts workers uh, get compensated fairly for the work that they're doing within our spaces as well. Please donate. We'd be thrilled to have you on there. We've seen a really great ground swell support, but we do need to see that continue uh, in order to ensure that these spaces remain operational for artists, creatives, and the community at large. You'll find the link to donate in the show notes. Now, another spot that for many, many years operated 
as a Toronto artist co-op was a big green building at the northeast corner of DuPont and Ossington. And if those walls could talk, they might say, wash me. But they'd also probably say something like, how much time do you have? I've seen some things. So with a brief history on 888 DuPont, here's producer Glenn Bergonier. Yeah, when you think of art projects or art in general, mops, brushes, brooms and airplanes probably don't come to mind. But that doesn't mean they're actually not extremely interesting and unbelievably important to not only Toronto, but potentially the entire world over. So let's start at the beginning. When the factory was first built in 1921, it was a textile mill specializing in yarn. However, this really didn't stick around for too much longer as a paper mill and printing company soon moved in. That is, until 1939 when the Second World War broke out. Because 888 DuPont not only changed hands again, but helped to design a unique plane that ultimately helped the Allies win the war. I'm talking about the Mosquito Bomber, which was also known as the Timber Terror or the Wooden Wonder. And if those names didn't make it clear enough, the bomber was primarily made from plywood and cotton fabric, which made it by far the lightest and fastest plane at the time being able to reach speeds of 600 kilometers an hour. Over 8,000 were made during the war, and 1,000 of those were made at 888 DuPont, with the first one being completed at the factory being named the Vancouver. But after the war, the need for these specialized fighters diminished, and by the 1950s, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind took over, pivoting from military planes to much more domestic needs, such as brooms, brushes, mops, and simple furniture. And do you want to know the best part of this, actually? The factory only employed blind Canadians, many of which who lost their eyesight during the war. And so you're probably thinking, ah, that's a nice thought, but it's actually much more than just a nice thought. The factory was unbelievably successful, so much so, in fact, that in 1955, a Toronto Star article suggests that a Canadian soldier in the Arctic cleaning his boots, or a sailor mopping the deck in the Suez Canal, or even a housewife in Nassau beginning her spring cleaning likely have the 100 blind men and women at 888 DuPont to thanks for manufacturing these. But as is the trend in this building, the factory eventually relocated and ownership was transferred a few more times in which it became a factory for shoes, for furniture, for medicine, and fiberglass boats until the arts community decided that this would be the great building for our creative minds and literally moved right in. In fact, there are even reports of some people paying as little as 50 cents per square foot in this rustic factory. And that went on for literally decades, with artists opening up shared studio spaces, creating beautiful pieces of art that were exhibited all across this country, and even living in the building. That is, until a developer bought the building and, four years later in 2021, gave eviction notices to the residents. And now the building remains empty as it prepares to be torn down and made into a 13-story complex. But the history that 888 DuPont shares with not only Toronto or Canada, but the entire world will forever remain. You know, one of my big regrets is that I'll never see inside of 888 DuPont for myself. I used to live around the corner and I was obsessed with that building. What a quirky and delightful piece of Toronto history that, like most quirky and delightful things in this city, will be a condo soon. 
This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Chris Dunner and Andrew Durnford are advisors to the show. We'll be back with a new episode next week, which is good. It'll give us time to open a window and air this place out. Somebody for sure arted in here. Also coming up next week, you'll hear from someone I stan. And he's also responsible for so many of my all-time favorite music videos and perhaps yours too. That's next week. Till then, take good care and we'll chat soon. Bye. Bye.